I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is just Kate today, and I have a super special episode for you, which is a sneak peek behind the scenes of Origin. So today, you're getting a look at one of the monthly pieces of content we offer as part of the Origin membership, and it is our Maven Masterclass, and it's featuring my friend Latham Thomas of MamaGlow.com and of the brand new book, own your glow. So Latham and I have known each other for many years. And I met her when I was, you know, when we were both 20 somethings gallivanting around New York City. And it has been amazing to watch her career blossom and to watch her business blossom. She is a indie mom, as our friend Megan Watterson says she has a 14-year-old son who's actually a sort of a famous DJ, <laughs> DJ Falano. And she's written two books, Mama Glow, which is about your hip abundant pregnancy, and then her newest book, Own Your Glow. She has been featured as one of the Oprah's Super Soul 100. She's been on Mind Body Green, lots of different TV shows. She's currently on tour with Glennon Doyle Melton, Abby Wambach, and a bunch of the other ladies for the Together Live events. So please check that tour out. And this conversation went into a lot of different places, a lot of unexpected places. I uh, asked Latham about activism, and I think you're going to be blown away by her answer about activism. She is one of the most well-connected women I know, you know, hanging out with Lauren Hutton and DJ Khaled and Alicia Keys. The testimonials and endorsements on her book are pretty unbelievable. So I asked her about, you know, connecting with influencers, and I have never heard a response like hers. So you got to listen just for that. Like it sent chills up my spine. It was so beautiful. Latham's doing really incredible work in the world, reconnecting women with the wisdom and the power of their bodies. She's absolutely doing God's work and or the goddess's work, whichever one you prefer. And I'm so excited to share her with you. This was one of my most favorite conversations I have had in the recent years. And I just, I never, I didn't want to end, want it to end. And I cried. I laughed. So I'm going to turn it over to the interview. Enjoy. Okay. Good. Oh, wait, it's still recording. Is it still recording? Yes. You have to stop. Oh, jeez. This is hard. Hey, Latham. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for being here. It's really just like such a pleasure to get to talk to you because it's been a while since I've seen you in person. It's been a while. Thank you for having me. It's been a little too long. So, ladies, this is my dear friend, Latham Thomas. She's the author of Mama Glow and also the author of her brand new book, Own Your Glow. And she is a female lifestyle brand that's all about owning your abundance, owning your glow, getting in touch with your body, getting in touch with the divine nature of the feminine. And I'm sure there are lots of other things. She's a doula. She (laughs) is a beautiful health inspirer, health coach. She's an expert on being a tapped in woman and self-care and being a queen. 
So, (laughs) you know, when I think about you, Latham, I think about beauty and I think about divinity. And I always think about you as a really great example of a woman who does what she needs to do to take care of herself, no matter Mm. what. You have such great boundaries around that. It's something I admire about you. And it's something that you share a lot on your Instagram and and in your work. And obviously that's what your work is about. So you're a shining example. So thanks for walking the walk. Ah, thanks, Kate. I appreciate that. And thank you for creating this space for women to gather and to learn and grow and support each other as well as, you know, really be honest about where they are and where, you know, they need handholding. And I think that's a huge, hugely important thing that we need to do as women and in leadership, like hold women's hands. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Oh my God. Of course. And you know, I created Origin because it's what I needed. I was really feeling like as a new mom. So I created Origin when Penelope was 18 months old. Mm. Um, (laughs) As a new mom, you know, you've been a new mom. Your son's 14. Mm -hmm. 14, 14, high school. 14, Filano. He's a world-renowned DJ, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you should check him out. And a brat. Yeah. <laughs> is he? So he started, he's a freshman? He's a freshman in high school now. He's a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. It's wow. crazy. It goes so fast. Do not blink your eyes. Okay. <laughs> no, I look at your pictures of him and I'm like, oh my God, he's huge because I met him. I don't know if you ever, you remember this, but we met up in the meatpacking district and he was going to his little DJ class and I think he was like six. He was, and he was also it was, probably like this was the cutest thing ever. Tall. Yeah, he was yeah. tiny, and now he's taller than you. Yeah, he's six one. Yeah, it's is his weird. dad is his dad tall? His dad's tall because you're tallish. My mom's tall. I'm like, like five eight. Yeah, so you're tallish. Yeah, but not like to expect a six foot one child, and he's yeah. still growing. He's six so one. yeah, my wow. grandpa and him are the same height and the same build. So it's like, oh my god, you look like grandpa and all the men in our family. He, my dad's tall. Like, so he has the height. He has everywhere to get height. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. So (laughs) I want to know, first of all, can you tell me the story of how you became a mom? Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually fresh out of college, 23 and fell in love with an artist who was my son's father. And I remember actually the moment that I conceived I just remember like very clearly, I was like, oh my God, I'm definitely pregnant. And I remember the moment that I found out also after taking a test and going into, I still had the insurance from my college because back in the day, like you could just like it rolled out for a little while. So it was like about to expire. So Uh I could utilize like, you know, health services to do all manner of things, particularly around women's health. And so Mm -hmm. I went for like a screening and did everything and I did a test and they don't, they do um, also blood tests, not just urine. And so they were like, you're pregnant. And I was like, awesome. And I remember at the same time, I was like, how am I going to raise someone? I'm like, I need a mom, you know? (laughs) I'm just 23. And so it seemed like a really, like now that I look back, it seems like I was so young, but it did not feel like that at all. I felt really grown. I felt along the journey, I was definitely like, okay, how's this going to work? But I think that this ancestral wisdom kicked in and I started to kind of tap into the energy of motherhood along the way. And thank God it's like 40 weeks plus versus, (laughs) you know, like, two days, like fruit flies, you know, you figure it out. And so, um, 
I was able to figure things out and, and I was able to really envision the type of birth experience that I wanted. And I was blessed to be located seven blocks away from the only freestanding birth center in New York City called Elizabeth Seton Childbearing Center, which has since closed. My son was one of the last births mm-hmm. in that space. It was a space of such reverence for the feminine and the female body when you would go for appointments with the midwives. There was a team of midwives and you would see each person depending on who was, you know, on call as who you would get to deliver your baby. So you developed a rapport with everyone. When you came inside the space, it was much set up like a home environment. And even, you know, the people at the front desk, their way with you was just so, it was like regal, like treated you like royalty when you came in. You took your own weight and wrote it into your forms. You took your own urine sample and looked to see if there was proteins or anything like off. You were able to like read on your own. And I can't remember what else we used to do on our own, but you could pull your files at any time. So anytime you wanted to say, get particular information, it was not like, oh, you got to call like some place behind God's back and like wait three weeks. It was like right then and there, here's your forms and we can photocopy them for you. Would you like them in a manila envelope? Like it was so easy. And so I remember like feeling, you know, like it was a humane experience and one that like respected the boundaries, also the areas of safety and security that women would have around their information, but also around their bodies and this primal process. And so I remember... When we, well, during the pregnancy, actually, they had 21 hours of education you had to do to deliver there. So you couldn't just come deliver your baby there. You had to be educated on Mm -hmm. the mechanisms of birth, sacred female anatomy. They didn't call it that, but I call it that. (laughs) And you had to understand like what was, you know, meant to go down so that you could actually be prepared and be a good candidate to deliver there. So long and short, I was like the star student in the classes because I was from a science background, plant systems and botany and life sciences. I did very well in biology and human physiology. So I was like, um, duh, like all the answers. I was like, here's the answer (laughs) to everything. And obviously fresh out of school. So it felt really great to be in some sort of like a course set up around my body and around this process. And uh, so long and short, we were able to deliver there. I remember we walked and walked and walked for hours the day before my son was coming. You know, my hips were really open and I was swaying and meeting people on the street and drinking water. It was July. It was really hot that day. And I remember we got home and it was like the eve of the full moon. And I was like, the baby's coming, but I just wish he would give me a sign. I was in the bed at this point, just sitting upright. And then we were listening to Mahalia Jackson And it was this beautiful gospel. It was like, it was just a piano and an organ. And she starts moving into this crescendo with her voice. And the voice is like riddled with like, with pain. And so she brings this like voice up, up, up. And at the peak of the song, my water broke. And at this point, it's 1230 at night. And we were like, Oh my God. I was like, and I had asked 20 minutes before. I was like, I just really want the baby to give me a sign. God, just please (laughs) speak through me and work through me and communicate with this baby and just let him know that it's safe to come now. I'm ready. I just, you know, I really need to not be pregnant tomorrow. It's hot. You know, like, and I remember like right then I was like, Oh my God, like the water broke. And his dad was like, 
you're peeing in the bed, get up. And I was like, I'm not. And he was like, get up. And I got up and it was like sex in the city with Miranda. And it was like, spsh, it was like a bucket all over the Whoa, floor. Whoa. Cause it, it I was mean, a lot that's of like, that's a movie version. Cause usually like women, you know, I know usually I'm, I'm sure you've seen all kinds, but it's sometimes trickling. Right. And then I had trickling. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mine you had the like, splash. Tons of water everywhere. It was all, yeah. Like all the four waters, like was right there. And so so then after that, it ensued, but we were so excited. So I'm like calling everybody, like it's a party. I'm like, yo, the baby's coming today. Like it was a whole thing. And, and my son's godfather came and he stayed with me and stayed up with me until about like 4.30 in the morning watching jazz documentaries and keeping mm. me hydrated, drinking yeah. water. And I didn't feel anything. I, I mean, I felt mm. like, you know, twinges of the baby moving, but I felt no discomfort. I started to feel things around 6.30 in the morning. And I was like, oh, like it's starting to happen. I was excited, but I had not gone to sleep. Mm -hmm. So note to self, mm -hmm. go to bed, try to sleep as much as you can. Yeah. It's super exciting, but you need to rest because they don't call it labor for nothing. So <laughs> I like finally it starts to really kick in by eight. And I was like, let me get in the shower. And then around nine, I was like, I want to go like it's time. And so we call and at this point I couldn't speak because it was just like rolls yeah. and waves of like the sensations were coming one after the next. And so we get in the taxi to go and my son's grandfather is like, hurry up. We got to get her there. Let's go. She's having a baby. And before we leave, he's like that. And his son just shuts the door in his face and he just like lets me get through this wave. Right. And then he opens the door. He's like, dad she's fine. And then we leave. And it was just like, he turned on in this amazing way to like be able to protect and keep yeah. this veil of safety for me so that I could be in this primal, you know, animal of an altered state. Yeah. So then we get in the cab, we go down It's seven blocks. So he was bugging out about like seven blocks. <laughs> I wanted to walk. He would yeah, not let right, me walk. Right. So we get there. And the moment we get there, hurry up, get her in the bed. She's having a baby pup. Like the whole thing. And no one says anything when I walk in. They watch. They watch for maybe like three minutes. Mm -hmm. And then they take me like by the small of my back and by the hand and say, okay, Lathan, let's go this way. And he goes, whoa. And it set the tone for the entire yeah. experience. And then at that point, they were all hanging out in like the couches. And there's like an area where you can cook and hang out. Mm. And then I'm like back in the room in the tub and with the lights out. And I was just in there like just singing and swaying and humming. And I stuff that I still do now. But like in the moment, it was just so intuitive. I just knew what to do in my body. And Philano's dad was asleep. And I would wake him up and be like, oh, can you put some pressure, you know, on my hips? And then he would go back to sleep. And I would sleep actually in between contractions. Mm -hmm. So I was so exhausted. Right. And I had this amazing REM sleep and these amazing dreams in between. And he was born shortly after at 109. Mm -hmm. And I remember right before he was born, the most beautiful thing happened where I got out of the tub. His core was wrapped around his shoulder. So he would have these fetal D cells, which means that like the heart rate would drop a little bit, which meant the baby was not as happy in the position that yeah. he was in. And so I got into the bed where they wanted me to squat so I could get him out sooner and they could have better access to him. So I get in the bed and I'm in the squatting and then I suddenly feel like this hovering, like almost like these eyes looking at me and energy coming down on me. And I look up 
and I see this veil in the shape of a U, like a horseshoe of ancestors cloaked like this, gazing down at me. And I said, I want to be up there. And everybody looked as I was like, I want to go there. And I ascend out of my body and I can see the entire experience. I can tell people like, I look at his hair color, look at this. Like I could see everything in the room from this vantage point ascended. And I delivered him and I could see it in like, not my mind's eye, but here, Mm -hmm. like I could see it like Mm -hmm. astrally. And then all the nurses too are like seeing what's going on and hearing the things that I'm saying. It's not possible from where you are to see the baby's head. And I was like, I can see it's like had a lot of hair. He's almost here. Like I was like, I'm almost crowning. I could see everything. So it was amazing and beautiful and just like the most important moment in my life Mm -hmm. and defining moment in my life. And right after I said, like within probably 20 minutes of his birth, I was like, I have to protect this experience for women, whatever the outcome, whatever their desire, I have to protect it. People said all kinds of things that this was not, and they did not tell me it was this. (laughs) And they didn't, it was beautiful and it can be a manner of things. Totally. But for me, it was so beautiful and that my ancestors visited and that, you know, I felt just like just wrapped in protection yeah. and the baby just lie here. I didn't even know what sex he was. I mean, I knew in, energetically it was a boy, yeah. but I didn't know right. the sex because I just was laying there in bliss and we were just hanging out for like, I don't know how long yeah. before I figured out. And then they told me like, Oh, look at him. I was like, Oh, cool. But I just remember like being in that space. And I was like, I've never done drugs, but the high that you feel yeah. from the DMT and the PEA and the oxytocin and everything together. You're just like so high. So that was amazing. And then I walked home like six hours later with this baby and I was like, where are the grownups? Like who's <laughs> really going to do this parenting thing? I am not equipped. Yeah. But then you figure it out. You do. Oh, I love hearing that story. I've read your story in your book, but it's really special to hear it, you know, like live. I love birth stories are the greatest. They are. They are, no matter what, like you said, like every experience is so different and so vast. So in that moment, you knew you wanted to protect this experience. And so can you tell me how your business was born? Yeah. So I would say in the first few weeks of Falano's life, I remember I started to, at the time I was doing like tons of arts and crafts for fun and I made all these journals for everybody who was like handbound these journals for everybody who was present at the birth. And I wrote some notes to them and mm. about how I really wanted to be active in participating and, and supporting women in this way. I got to work with my midwife a few times. And what happened was like when my baby was asleep. I would also take naps. But when I wasn't sleepy, I would kind of start to draw notes and, you know, write out like what it is that I thought I could offer, what that would look like, what exists, what does not. It was really, the impetus was really during the pregnancy when there was like a lack of continuity and connection between all these areas. It wasn't holistic. It was like, you could go nutrition over here, prenatal yoga over here, doula over here. Like everything was just everywhere. And I was like, I want to bring it all into one place so that it's easy for a woman and hold her hand, you know, along the journey. And so I started there with like, what would that feel like? The internet was not what it is. So it was really like a one-to-one experience. And it was really like, there was no like marketing it. It was like a website that people figured out how to find, I guess. But there was no like, going on Instagram or Facebook to post right. about, it just didn't exist. Yeah. So I 
Yeah. So in the beginning, it was really like figuring out what those things would be that I would offer. And then it was like testing and like working with people, having gatherings in like my living room. I also wrote like the rudiments of what would become Mama Glow, just, I mean, all over the place again, like on computers, on like notebook paper, on like napkins. There was like all kinds of stuff everywhere. <laughs> and it was not organized. It was organized chaos. It was not organized. Yeah. So that's how it kind of started. And then I remember I also did a course with Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which helped with like counseling technique and like, you know, helping me also deal with like shyness in public spaces. I was not like shy, but I would not like do public speaking. I would never have suggested myself to do that. And I got more comfortable over time. And but, look at you um, now. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Trying. But I would say that was the very beginning was just really for me was like writing it down. Like people get like, oh, I want to do this and whatever. And it's like so nebulous, but they don't actually take the time, like write it yeah. and then refine and then have like a little sister circle that you can run the ideas by. And people could say, you know what? I know someone in this area or I know a graphic designer right. or have you talked to this person? You just need like a brain trust. And so that was really helpful too. testing people, testing out your work so they can vouch for you and also recommend you people knowing what it is you do. We're blessed to have obviously social now. So it's really yeah. easy and it's a playing field that's level for everyone. Yeah. So it's a different beast now, but yeah, that's how I got it started. It. I just started by like you just um, started writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it's great because it's so simple. And one of the biggest questions I get is like, well, how do I get started? And I'm like, okay, just start. Okay. Just start. And I think back to like, all right, well, I got started in business when I was 18. So that was a long time ago. And, you know, but even when my website came out in 2010, like things were really different than they are now. So it's just yeah. like, yeah, you just use the tools you have, write it down, just start. So simple. So that's right. Yeah. So simple. <laughs> and so now, you know, you're on tour with Glennon Doyle and Lovey and these amazing women, Abby Wambach, yeah. and, you know, you're on the together um, tour and you're speaking at Ted women and you know, you're a doula to the stars <laughs> and, and like a lot has been created. And so yeah. I'd love to know specifically, I hope this isn't an annoying question, but I feel like you're one of those people who just, you know, I will say in some people's astrological charts, there is actually a thing where like some people are just meant to really shine in that way. And mm -hmm. I'm sure if we looked at your chart, you're one of those people. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, you have a really beautiful network and some of the women were wondering, like, what are your recommendations for expanding your network, getting the word mm. out there and particularly connecting with influencers? Because if you yeah. look at the quotes on your book, you know, Alicia Keys and all of these beautiful, beautiful women that you've gotten the chance to work with. And I know they're mm -hmm. your friends. So it's not really like, I also understand because this is, I find it an annoying question because sometimes I get asked it like, how do you connect with of influencers? Course. And it's like, yeah, I never really meant to do that. Right. <laughs> but I'm just curious, what's your, you know, yeah. what's your answer yeah. on that? Well, I guess, so I have two answers, I think to it. And the first is since I grew up around plants and growing things and having like you know, a grandfather who could grow anything and who's a, who's really pride himself on being a grower. I had this kind of woven into my DNA ability to cultivate relationships across from watching something grow, obviously watching women grow from, you know, being maidens into, into motherhood. Like I 
like to watch growth and I like to support and to help sustain weed, water, till the land, you know, speak blessing on it, sing, you know, let the sun come. And like, that's like just part of who I am. So for me, one thing that I think is lacking in the first thing I would say to people who are like, I'm, I'm sort of struggling with that is that the lesson and the sort of call to action first is to be a better gardener, right? Of these relationships. And so look at who you already have, right? Like see who you're not reaching out to on a regular basis, who you're not communicating with. Like are there people who have done favors or come to things or events or whatever, or bought things, whatever it is. And how do you really express your gratitude and how often do you reach out, like whether to text or tagging them or, you know, I call it confessions of light, which is just like <laughs> being able to confess your love to yeah. someone and how there's an exercise in the book about this, you know, cause I went to Catholic school and oh, I, I didn't know that say, girl, I would never have anything <laughs> saying confessional. Cause I was like, first of all, I'm not bad. You know, like yeah. I haven't been sinning. I've been like thinking about care bears and like, you know, yeah. whatever, butterflies. I have nothing bad to say. I want to confess that I'm best friends with this person and she's so cool. I want to confess. So I was always confessing light. And so this is a practice that I want people to embody and also make it like just a regular thing. Like, like don't forget everybody that helps you along the way. So reach out and not expect a response. So it has to just be like, you're reaching out because you want them to know that they're lifted and, they, and that you support their well-being and, mm-hmm. and that's it. You don't need them to also write you back. Yep. Do not reach out because you need something in the moment that you need something. Yes. Like, this is why you cultivate because <laughs> right. then you can harvest. You don't yeah. go to the you land and start picking shit. Right. You, you don't, don't water the cucumber when you need the cucumber to eat. No. Right. You pick it yes. when it's ripe, right? Yes. But you got to water and you got to weed and all these things. So I think that that's really important. I think people forget that part first. Um, the second thing I would say is like, I definitely didn't say, okay, I'm going to work with a particular yeah. type of person. It was more like the mission was to transform the way that women perceive their bodies, to transform the way culture perceives birth mm-hmm. and to be able to create, yeah, to disrupt the culture around birth. And so to that end, I believe that, you know, God ordered my steps and put me in the path of people who, who would help to fulfill that mission. Yeah. And so that's why I've been able to work with all these people who are highly visible, who talk about birth, who talk about the body in a really, mm-hmm. you know, integrated way, who are in right relationship with their bodies and, you know, what's capable or what's possible for women right. and really exploring a different, you know, idea and a different paradigm of what's possible for women. And so I'm just thankful that I was able to serve in that capacity in a way where those people were able to take that and then use it not only to fulfill their work, but also to educate and inspire other people who are on the path towards loving their bodies more or delivering a baby or whatever it is, or birthing the best iteration of themselves. They can do that because they saw, because we don't have a monarchy. So celebrities like our monarchy. And so, yeah, the that's so true. Usually, right. So yeah. that's the reason why things get popular, yeah. you know, is because like the highest of whatever it trickles down to the masses. Yeah. So these concepts have to trickle down to everyone. And so like a celebrity or influencers 
are the ones who adapt these things early on, these concepts or whatever, and they're the ones who people look to for that, for influence and for, I guess, yeah, for like, you know, tips, tools, guidance, yep. whatever. So even if they don't even know what they're talking about, at least like you feel like, oh, well, that's the key into you, right? Being able to take that journey. Yeah. So that, so that I think yeah. was for the end of what my actual mm-hmm. purpose is on this planet. And then I would say the other piece is just, you know, not seeing like this difference. So for me, mm. when I'm with women, period, across the board, no matter what financial bracket, no matter what color, what shape, no matter, you know, where they were born, where they're, where they live, whatever it is, at the moment of childbirth, like when it's, you know, in the, when we're in the throes of it, it's like each person is at their most powerful and their most vulnerable at the same time. Each person wants the same thing. And so it's like, there's no difference and there's no like, oh, well, this person has more resources or more money or this person has less. It's like, we're the same. And so for me, it is about keeping that as really central to the work, making sure that everybody has an experience that is authentic, you know, and also that's really like, that helps them to turn home to themselves, to really like feel empowered. And I hate using the word empowered because women are already power, but to tap in and really like, you know, channel it and know that they have it and carry it with them, like not like letting people like deplete it. So I feel as though every woman has that. And it's, I have to make sure that everyone feels the same. Like they can't feel like, oh, well, this person gets this because they have this money or whatever. So I think if we stop thinking of like influencer or celebrity as like, over here, up here, like they're not the same as us. Like we're all the same. And I think if you stop making the goal to like reach this type of person and to actually be of service to everyone or whatever it is that you do, like a product that works for whoever you're speaking to or the service that speaks to whoever you're speaking to, the people who are uniquely fit for your voice and who need to hear what you have to say are going to come. They're just going to come. You'll find them. It'll right. But I think that placing intention upon like celebrity always, you know, like in whatever capacity always feels a little sticky. It feels weird. I completely agree. I always, that's why I was even hesitant to ask the question, but 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 people had it and I was like, all right, I'm going to ask. And I love your answer so much about being a better gardener. And I love your answer so much about, I don't know how you said it. You said something about God in your steps that your mission was so clear that, yeah. you know, what the universe, what God sent was people who could help you further the mission. And so you, yeah. did, you were doing your work and the intention was, let me get this out to as many people and however that's going to happen. And for you, it's happened to come through some influencers, which is beautiful. Yeah. And, and then the other piece I just want to, you know, pinpoint is that, you know, birth is really the great equalizer. It is. Holy shit. I mean, I was like, I had a very different birth experience than you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I want to ask you about that in a second, but I have never afterwards, I'm looking around at all the women and I'm like, Oh my God, she did that. And she did that. And she did that. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who you are. That shit is hard. And like, we di- like you just tap into the depth of who you are and yes. at that depth, just like you said, we all want the same thing. We are all the same. And we are the same. Whew, I experienced yeah. that very profoundly. It was really one of the most beautiful moments and such a gift. So mm. I'm curious, how many births ish do you attend a year? Oh Lord. 
So I, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I thought you must have a limit because you have a lot of other oh, yeah. things going on. I definitely on. have a limit. So usually at this point now, I take like I take like one a month now. Oh, that's which, a lot more than I expected. Well, it's not happening right now. Yeah. Okay. So, so I don't have. So I had my last baby in August. Yeah. Okay. Which was like a great ending. Like the way it was so TV. Like the mom was an actress, and so in such a TV type of birth too. I was just really? like, oh like oh, of course so the water would break as we're getting out the cab. Of course, like everything was just like so television, <laughs> but. The next baby is in, until late February, and okay. then I think I have some April babies. So okay. I really spread them out okay. based on when I know, like, you know, after years of, like, having conflict around spring break, I'm like, oh, I don't want to probably schedule during spring break. Yeah, hi. Or after years of, like, having, you know, not knowing whether or not you're going to be home for Thanksgiving or this, you know, I try to schedule yeah, around. yeah. So now I schedule around like what's happening in terms of major life events yep. or anything that my son has going on. I don't schedule around his birthday, yeah. you know, and then I schedule around like things that have already been in the book. So yeah. I, I ask people politely to book early so that sure. I can make sure I make space. But for the most part, I would say I can handle when I have nothing going on, probably like one a month. But I have so much going on that right now it's like a few a year yeah, and they're really great. like second and third time that I'm attending referral. And then I always have backup. And so yeah, the other births that we take, which are hundreds, are just going to be through contractor doulas that we work with. And, and so, so do you train? Come. You train doulas or you're going to start? Yeah. So we are now, so I mentor a bunch of doulas, but now we're going to be training people there's something I want to share with you probably offline. Okay, great. Um, Cause I want to say it on here and then it's like not You tell me when we stop yeah. recording and then we can yeah, announce it when some, it's ready. Some fun, yeah. Some fun magic around a space. Um, but yeah, so we'd be able to take more people yep. and I don't have to take them, but I can help them to use the tools that I use and then go in and, you know, be able to get tons of experience with like amazing women and families. So totally. Yeah. Now, when you're attending a birth, so mm-hmm. it sounds like you had a really beautiful birth experience, and, and which is so, I love that. I love hearing it. And so <laughs> a lot of the births you're attending are a lot of them in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And yep. so, so what's it like having had your birth experience, having your particular brand of reverence for the female mm-hmm. body and for the sacred female anatomy or whatever you said, which I love the way you said that. And, um, and just like the reverence for the whole process. What's it like for you working with clients who maybe haven't had that same birth and body positive experience and are coming in with a lot of fear. And then also, you know, potentially being in the room with an OB who is not on the same page or with Mm -hmm. the interventions, like how do you just flow with that? Cause I feel like Yes, for many people listening, they're not going to be in that experience. But I think this is a metaphor for yeah. how do we, how do you flow mm-hmm. with who you are and what you believe when everything around you is not really supporting that? Okay, that's a great question. I get similar types of questions a lot. <laughs> and uh, what I will say, and particularly from doula, so I'm sure that was a doula who put that out. So one, I would say for the first piece of the question about moms that come in and, and how they show up. You know, I feel like my job in the very beginning is to really understand the landscape of the person's mind and what's not sitting on their heart and kind of what trepidation, what challenges, what fears, yeah, what 
particular areas of possible difficulty or whatever will we run up against if we don't resolve, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's an opportunity for me to learn more about them and their triggers and their traumas and pain points, as well as their triumphant moments and moments of grace and excitement and, and areas where they feel very confident and kind of figure out like where I need to navigate from so I can create a map how to, yeah, best navigate this intimate topography that is a woman's emotional and mental body, right? And there's the overlay of what she's feeling through her body and the physical changes as well as what's happening, you know, celestially. So there's so many layers, right, that you need to be aware of and attentive to. And so one of the first lessons is that, you know, when we talk about women is like fluctuation and being able to expect that there's fluctuation in ideas, in what's happening in the body, in consciousness. And so you have to be very flexible and pliant in your consciousness as well as in your thoughts and all of these things you have to be also adaptive and being able to pivot, you know, based on what's happening, what that moment calls for. So I like to get as much information as possible. You know, I talk to the couple. I like to have both people present, whoever that is, whatever that couple is structured like, whatever, you know, if it's same sex couple, if it's like, you know, one person is a surrogate or what, like there's different types of formations of families and family structures and who's coming into this experience. And what I find is that early on, as you have these conversations that are sometimes challenging for them, is that along the way, there will be moments where something comes up where there's like a difference and you have to like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's yeah, lay all yeah, that out. Yeah. Right. So it's good information for me across the board to see like what I'm, what I'm dealing with and what I'm going to like move into yeah. as I support the couple. So my number one thing is really to be a best listener, you know, and be able to understand as much as possible how this person, where this person is moving from so I can start to anticipate their needs. Mm. And then from there, I would say in the birth room, I've had all manner of experiences. I've had people who'd be like, yes, you know, the doulas are here. And then I've had people be like, you know, during the pregnancy, like trying to discourage the use of a doula or, you know, everything. I've done home births, hospital births. I've done births in you know, at homes on, you know, that weren't supposed to be at home. Right. Like all kinds <laughs> yeah. of things. Right? Had some almost cab babies. But I would say that what's important first for me, and I think this is really great for other doulas to be thinking about is like, you know, go to some of the prenatal appointments. So you meet the practitioners if you haven't mm -hmm. delivered at that place. So if it's like NYU hospital, you never delivered there, you need to go and see what it's like to deliver there what the process would be for you to bring somebody in at night or, you know, do like a hospital tour, maybe go on the hospital tour with your family, client family, and get to know some of the nurses on the floor because they advocate for you as well. And then meet the doctor of the couple. So go to a prenatal appointment, have some questions. If they have things that come up in the appointment that they need answered, then you can go to the doctor's appointment with them, maybe liaise and help them to get those questions answered. And then I would say, and you know, when you're there in the full on moment where there could be you know, the introduction of any pharmaceuticals yeah. or ideas or ideology that like doesn't sit right for the couple. You know, the one thing is like early on with the education, it's a great way to give, I do something called birth preferences, not birth planning. Yeah. And it's like talking about what do we, great. what would your preference be mm -hmm. if given X, Y, and Z? Great. If we had to have a C-section, for instance, what yeah. would your preference be in terms of these things? If yeah. this, what would your preference? Mm -hmm. So then this way we have a map for where we want to go, but it's not like, 
this is where we're going, right? Yep. And nothing's set in stone. Because if we plan like that, and we sort of play like, oh, like I'm just going to pretend this doesn't exist as an outcome, then we set, we seed, you know, we seed for disappointment. Yeah. And so I try to eliminate that as much as possible by exploring all the options in the landscape of like what's possible for people through a lens of preparedness. Yeah. So it's like when you're going to go drive across country, it's good to know like, oh, you know, in the Northwest, like there's going to be snow. Maybe we should take the Southern route. And, you know, it's just good to know kind of what's going on so that, you know, it might be that you're going from New York to California, but to get there, things happen along the way. So it's not going to necessarily be like, you know, a flawed trip, but you might run out of gas and have to get towed. You might like things happen, right? But you're ending up in California. Yeah. So I guess the goal is to kind of see like what it would look like as a map to go there and however you get there, yep. however you get there, but yep. we can't figure it out until we're in the moment. I also work with people on kind of releasing this tyranny of having to know, you know, like of having to know everything mm-hmm. because it's this, and the knowing is really about like an internal knowing, right? Connecting yeah. to like just a wisdom from within and not necessarily like a knowing, a knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, it's a different type of knowledge that we're tapping into. So the knowing of everything, I think really hangs people up. When we get into the hospital and the doctor, the first thing that I do is to disarm everybody is, you know, we bring in diffusers and oils and I talk to everyone. I hold their hands. I look into their eyes. I see, I find out how everybody that's on the birth team is doing before anybody is going to connect my client. So we get them in the room, whatever. And then I start talking to the Mm -hmm. nurses. Sometimes people are in a bad mood and I'm like, let me go outside and deal with that before Mm -hmm. she comes in here because we're creating like this bubble of love. And I don't really want anything to come in there to like disrupt the mother who's already at that point, usually in active labor, which means she's very susceptible to any messaging, to yep. any sound sense, you oh. know, attitudes, anything totally. so susceptible. So that's another thing that I try to do is disarm the people so that everybody's in harmony and create an environment that is conducive to our wishes. So we want it to feel safe. We want it to feel peaceful. We want it to feel warm. We want it to smell like their home. We have them use oils and scents throughout the pregnancy yeah. that bring into the birth room so that there is this continuity and so that the olfactory system, which bypasses a thinking brain, can remind the mother that she's safe. Mm-hmm. So we do all these things so that, but then the people who come in are like, oh, are you having a seance? Right. It's like a very different vibe than all the other rooms. That's so they right. know there's like a reverence when they walk in. It's a That's feeling right. of like, this is different. I better be different in here. Right. And yeah. without even saying anything, yeah, they yeah, just yeah. walk in. They're like, quiet. They're like, oh, hi. How are you? And so, you know, just doing these things that make people Uh a little bit. So I find that it's less about telling them this is what I want to do. This is what the client needs. And I just kind of, we just are all that way. Right. And Um, that's the feminine, right? Yeah. You just show, you know, you have to. And also the other thing is signs. We put signs on the door if you really want like, you know, like quiet voices or whatever. And also we put signs in the room of affirmations that the mother has been, you know, mm-hmm. marinating in for the past however many months. And we also make sure that, oh, music, whatever yep. it is. Yep. But we sing in the room too. Mm. And that I think also helps like, you know, when she feels comfortable in the space and the people who come in, they feel just like welcome. So that's what we try to do. 
And then the doctor, I think we have discussion. So when there's something that's difficult that comes up, it's a conversation. Yep. And then I ask them to step out and yep. then we have our conversation, Great. you know, when it comes to the baby being born and cord clamping and stuff, like, you know, we ask for what we want. And then if people are moving like mechanistically, which they do often, they forget what sure. you say. Then we ask for a moment of silence after yeah. birth. We're like, we just want to pray. And then we let the cord pulse and then we wait. And then we're we're like, okay, we're ready, you know? And so there's just ways that you can kind of, you know, slow it down, slow it all the way down. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. What a gorgeous, I'm just like loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Okay. So now I want to know, just switching gears a little bit. I have a couple of more rapid fire questions about like, okay, so logistics of your life. So Mm -hmm. you're, you're on this tour with these amazing ladies. You're on the together tour. You did a pre-launch tour with fresh. Um, you're about to do TEDx women, all the events in New York, the doula thing, you know, you're gone Mm -hmm. for 24 hours, helping a baby come into the world. So what has been happening with your son during that time? What support structures do you have in place? So you can also do your work and then also be with him and then also take care of yourself. Yes. So I, design my life around being able to be there for my son, have breakfast together, dinner together, go to all of the school stuff as much as possible. Cause I love doing that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. All the DJ things. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like how it really works. So now I live very close to everything. So it just makes it a lot easier. But before right. I lived like, you know, take a subway and it was a schlep and yeah, well, you so- lived up there. Yeah, I lived in Harlem, and so it was harder, and he was also smaller, so he couldn't be left alone. He couldn't, you right. know, he had to be with care. So we had really amazing caretaking, you know, in our neighborhood. I had these neighbors okay. who I love, Carl and Betty, who lived next door, who mm-hmm. literally in the next building over would take care of Fulano. They had an older son who Fulano adored, and so amazing. they would just help okay. me, like, after school or whatever it was. If I had a birth in the middle of the night, Fulano's grandfather would take him. So I would okay. get dress him at night, put him in the cab, go downtown with him, drop him and, off. Yeah. Drop him off yeah, and then okay. go to the birth. Okay. He would take him to school. Okay. Now he's like three blocks from us. And so he's really helpful. If there's cool. anything that I need, we also have a doorman. So yeah. I know he's safe here. Totally. Um, yeah. With neighbors in the building that also in the same school. Yeah. So being 14, grow. he can now yeah. just be a little more. Yeah. Now before, it's easy. Oh, it was difficult. Okay, so before. you had some neighbor support. You had your son's grandfather. So you had yeah. some support. Yes, I definitely had. You cannot do it without. Like, you can't no. do it without support. But, like, you're running a business, mm-hmm. you know, as an indie mom, as our mm-hmm. friend Megan likes to say, to say and I, yep. which I love. Like, it's so much. I don't know. Just, I don't know how you feel about it, but I really like I the love it too. name. Yeah. Um, yeah. As an indie mom. So that's, like, not easy. And no. so, it, like, what. Wisdom would you have to share with other indie moms or moms whose partner is just like either not not helpful or just, you know, works a lot or whatever. Yes. My son's father, when he was small, was it was like I might as well have been a single mom while I was with him because he did not do anything. I can count on one hand how many diapers he changed. So I remember feeling really early on with a fairly young child that I wasn't supported. Yeah. And I knew then that I had to find mechanisms of support. And so that's when I started to really cultivate more of my, you know, my existing social network to help me and just like, hey, and people love babysitting or, you know, whenever it is. And so 
I had more of that because I never wanted to leave him with like a sitter. I just didn't feel yep. comfortable. Yep. I always wanted it to be family or friends. And so we just always like, we just juggled his godmother, my sister, Beautiful. my sister lived with us. Actually, she was in college still. She lived with us for like two or three years. So oh, she cool. was there. So it was like, it was helpful in the beginning. And then, you know, in recent years, in the past, like maybe two years or three years, you know, with my fiance, it's been like another person who's already had kids who are older than Fulano. So he's a great help and they get along. And so that's been really great to have him. Mm. But I would say that, you know, it's really important to find these people who are like your elders in the space. So somebody who has twins, if you have twins, somebody who's been able to juggle, somebody who's a great cook who can send over meals, somebody who you know, is great with, I mean, people are already on origin, so they know like to get business advice and community is here to be able to ask questions or even activate, you know, different types of support, like, you know, a babysitting cooperative or, you know, things like that, like are so helpful. And we used to have like play date, you know, not cooperative, but like where we just kind of would, you know, everybody would move around different houses and stuff. Whatever way you can get that help is so critical and also just to not like beat yourself up about how much you're getting done. Oh, I think um, people get that. so <laughs> caught up in like this to-do list idea and the fact that it's going to end, like you're going to check everything off. It's not going to ever happen. It should not actually, your goals should not be oriented in that way. It's like a futile exercise mm-hmm. and you end up feeling like you're not doing stuff and you're actually doing too much. Yeah. So if you can reorient around like what's most important, like, And putting yourself at the top because getting to the self-care piece, like if you're not well in body, in mind, in spirit, in flesh, like if you're in consciousness, if you're just like feeling scattered and not supported and sick and whatever, you can't actually get anything done. And so I think it's most important first to make sure that, you know, the children, you know, have some place to go so that you can have some moments of self-care, whether that's like, you know, the kids being with a family member or a friend so that you can do some things for yourself, like organizing time for yourself in that way. It's also very important to make sure that after you've figured out what self-care practices really resonate for you and that you're using those, that you also then figure out what is most important to get done and be realistic with yourself around time and don't book in things so that they are squished together. Give yourself space and energy and space to breathe. And so this is so important because I think that we kind of move like in this mechanistic way. And, you know, the way that we've been taught about our bodies is that it's a machine or that it runs like a machine. It's not actually a machine and we're not (laughs) actually robots. We're people and not only are we people, but we're sentient beings and we take in so much of what's happening around us and stimulates us. So also maybe just like, you know, so make sure you're taking care of first, figure out what that is. You know, some people it's like taking a bath, reading a book, seeing a girlfriend, watching a movie, you know, for me watching Insecure on HBO Sunday nights, like that is my self care. I love it. So whatever it is, right. And then after that, really take a serious look at what it is that needs to get done And then give yourself space to get it done. Like embrace the energy of ease. Don't push everything. Don't force everything. Don't try to mess with destiny and like 
you know, engineer an outcome for something, let it take its time, let it run its course, don't rush stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important too, because we're always like, I got to do this. Look at them. Look at that one. I got to hurry up. No, you have to hurry up and slow down. Right. (laughs) And so, um, so do that, like slow down. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would say really foster again, those relationships that we talked about in the beginning, like nurturing the garden. If you are tending to your relationships, you already know who's amazing that could help you in different ways with supporting your children. And there's amazing online communities and there's amazing in-person communities. So figure out like what could work for you, how you can develop new friends, things like that. So, you know, for me, I would just say that, you know, I, it it looks like I'm doing people like, it looks like you're doing so much. It's like, it does look like you're doing a lot, but But I I also have experienced you so much in person I know that you're also really relaxed and you're taking care of yourself. So, (laughs) so yeah. How do you do that? I think it's just like, I think it's just like leaving, like leaving space. So, you know, I punctuate the day with like self care. I punctuate the day with time to breathe. So I'm not like going from one thing to the next, even if I am going from one thing to the next, it doesn't feel like, Oh my God, you know, I'm not like this. I'm not rushed. You don't rush. I don't rush. I've noticed that about you. You no. just don't rush. I know. Unfortunately, like it does sometimes, sometimes I'm late. You're late. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you know what? It's okay. You're just frazzled. And, I and know. I get it. I get it. And I actually really admire that about you. I rush a lot. I'm also sometimes late too. But thank you for saying that, that you just don't rush. I do actually believe that when we make a commitment to not rushing, we actually create more time. We do. I do think there's a metaphysical thing that happens there. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a mind switch because yeah. we think that by rushing we'll get more done, but I actually believe that by slowing down we get more done. We do. Yeah. And we do it with intention and we yeah. do it with like our full attention versus totally. like you're halfway over here and this is half. Uh, yeah, no. Cause then you're, you're not when you rush doing too. Your like best. imagine cooking and also doing something else. You come back, the shit is burned. It's like you <laughs> have to take and your And then you have to get takeout. Okay. So I want to go to a couple of questions that I'm just having on just real quick question. A couple of women were asking about fertility after 35 and you know, what are your feelings on kind of like the, the whole conversation on, Oh, birth defects or, you know, geriatric pregnancy, which I freaking hate that term, but the whole thing, just like, what's your quick take on fertility after 35? I'm healthy. Yes. I believe that 35 is a completely arbitrary number that there's no such thing as you know, suddenly your eggs are on expiration. I know that we've been told that our whole lives since we're like five years old. So your body starts to like believe that, but it's not true. I think that, you know, your eggs are as old as your lifestyle. So if you are really living a life where you're putting good things in your body, you're sort of dealing with like a toxic load of the city that you live in, wherever you live, the stress that, you know, comes into your life in different ways, then you can, you can mitigate that. Yeah. Also there, you know, age is just one of like, you know, maybe 16 fertility factors. So it's yeah. not the most important thing. And it's like the one we focus on, but we focus on that because we want women to feel like there is a, like they're running out of options mm-hmm. and we, and then use it's a form of, it's a form of control and it's a form of shaming us. Mm-hmm. And so, so that we feel like we have to then buy into something like egg freezing yeah. or we have to buy into something like fertility treatments when we haven't even explored what yeah. our body is capable of. Right. And so 
my thought is like, why do we go there first? Why do we go to a doctor to tell us about our body? Like for diagnostics, I understand. Like you want to just understand things that are under the hood. Cool. You go to a mechanic, he tells you, oh, this is what's going on. But you know how your car is running. You know if your car's clicking a certain way. You're like, that's not normal, right? And then yeah. you go in and you tell them what's going on. And then yeah. they come and tell you. Right. You don't like tell, go to somebody for them to tell you. You go and you get the information and you can interpret what you know to be true for yourself. So you know that you're healthy. You know what's going on. And then they can say, oh, we'd like to see certain things change or we, whatever it is. You could say, okay, I can work towards that. And there's tons of ways naturally and with mindfulness practice mm-hmm. and a commitment to self-care that we can change a lot of things that are looking, you know, ominous based on what these doctors tell you. Also, and I have nothing against doctors. I just think that it's a dangerous thing to tell somebody that, oh, you can't have a baby because you're 35. Or it's a dangerous yeah. thing to say you're a geriatric. Or it's a dangerous thing to say that you should freeze your eggs. What we really should be doing is looking at a culture that doesn't allow women to advance in career and that punishes women who go and start families and have to come back and start basically from zero in their careers. We should be looking at why it is that companies want us to give the best years of our lives to fulfilling their missions. And then on the other side of that, not being able to fulfill our dreams of having a family. And not supporting Um, families. And not supporting families. We should be looking at why it is that a woman can't, has to breastfeed in a freaking bathroom stall. We should be looking at why you don't have pads and tampons and period underwear and bathrooms and places that have enormous art on the walls and all kinds of other Mm -hmm. things that they invest in. They don't invest in women. Mm -hmm. We should be thinking about this. We should think about companies who are saying, oh, we're going to give you money to freeze your eggs. So we're not going to give you money for maternity leave, you know? So we should be looking at that. And the fact that it doesn't work, it's works like 30% of the time when you retrieve those eggs, like do they result in, you know, human life? Now it's expensive. It is super invasive. Everything that has to modulate a woman's bodily processes is expensive and also invasive. Every single thing like that we have to endure men put on a condom. We have to take birth control. It's like, there's never like that's easy for us. Right. So women have to commit to doing that, to upsetting their rhythms, Mm -hmm. to go on these off market drugs that are not designed to actually do what they're doing to your body and also put you at risk for cancer to possibly be able to retrieve some eggs, to put on some ice so that you can go work for somebody. That is wrong. The system is wrong. It's not designed to support women. It's designed to support men. It is treating women basically like machines that we are not. And so instead of us saying, let's figure out how to shift and actually break this shit down and change this, we are buying into it, which is supporting the patriarchy. Instead of saying, this does not work for us, we're up in here too. We need to design something that supports us. So no, we shouldn't be buying into doing these. And also these people are selling fear to women. Yes. And it's not right. And it's an industry. It's an industry and it's not right. And it's women people's are at pockets. the helm it's so wrong. of telling this to women. So I, I just want, you know, I don't know when it does work for people and when it does make sense, it should not certainly be sold to women, especially women who are early on in their careers and early, you know, on in, in just figuring out who they are. Totally. They should not be looking at this as an option. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. 
Thank well, we're you. on the topic of activism. Mm-hmm. I, I want to, we're winding down, but I do want to ask you about, okay, there's a lot going on in the world. Obviously there's natural disasters. There's issues Ugh. about climate change. There's some political issues going what? on. Climate change? Yeah. Climate yeah. Change. There's is that- profound racism. There's xenophobia. There's, you know, homophobia. There's all the things, right? Yes. So, you know, you're obviously a woman in business. You're a woman of color. You're an activist. You're clearly a feminist. I'm <laughs> curious when there are so many things that are so infuriating, but yeah. you are also a woman who believes in love. And I know that very clearly. Yeah. Like, how do we, as women who are on team love a hundred percent, how do we work towards what we want to see in the world without getting sucked into the, how awful it all really can feel. And, and I do believe that righteous anger absolutely has a place because I think it's yes. beautiful fuel and yes. also being angry all day, every day will kill you. So yes, I, I, this is a very big question. <laughs> Feel free to just like take whatever part of it you want, but I'm just curious on your thoughts on this. Yes. You know, I would say, you know, first well, I don't consider myself an activist because I feel like the word <laughs> is so you know, I know people who are on lists who cannot have their addresses published, who can't, who have to change their number every two weeks, who have to constantly move, who are living in places that they don't want to live because of the fact that there is like a target on their head. I have friends who are in the movement who just don't live in peace because of the work that they do. And so I just feel like I'm an advocate for, you know, women in, you know, for even the work that I've done for women in in the birth space and, and around our bodies, I feel that I advocate. And yes, it is like what we do is activism, but I just wouldn't call myself that because I just feel like there are people who really are on the front lines who could die. And I know so many of them and I'm like, that to me is like, it, like it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Like what I'm doing and what they're doing is not the same. So they are activists. But I would say, you know, I think this is why we cultivate these tools. This is why you join these types of groups. This is why you find community is because in these moments where things are so confusing, so challenging, so disheartening, so sad, like that there are actually people living on this planet that, have these mindsets that can lead them to do destructive things that are hurtful to the environment, to human beings, to animals, and that really destroy the future. Yeah. You could be mad all day. If you're on the news, you can be mad all day. If you're on Twitter and Facebook, if you're everywhere, you can be mad all day. You can be mad at people who have other views than your own. But I think the real thing is like that we have to also do is like, you know, when you go in, you have to come out and like, look at the thing from far away Mm. and look at how like, the political disruption and the social stuff and everything that's happening is also on one hand, bringing people together and making people awaken to like the fact that maybe there was stuff happening that they weren't completely aware about. And now they have an opportunity to serve. See, that's amazing. You have an opportunity to like do something in a bigger way or maybe speak to it from a different lens. It's an opportunity to, you know, find allyship in other people who now you finally figure out between each other that, Hey, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the same thing in silos. And now you figure out like, wait, you're talking about that too. And now you can join forces. It's an opportunity. I think also for like people to use the tools for real, like not just like, Oh, I meditate. Oh, I pray. Oh, I 
go to retreats in Costa Rica. Like now, whatever you do in yoga, you can actually do in your real life. Now, whatever you, you know, like all the philosophical and spiritual tools can be used as, you know, like as weapons of consciousness, like you can use this stuff now. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I feel like, you know, we are here to help support and lift people who are right now, like looking around for like answers or looking around for like some sort of solution so they can have tether and feel anchored in support, but also feel like, okay, I don't want to fly away, but you know, I'm feeling tousled. Like, where do I stand in this? And I think the other piece is like, you know, you just have to like take a stand and it's scary. I think sometimes to say like, oh, you know, this is what I believe, you know, you know, because there are risks involved in speaking up about things that you believe. But if you are committed to a world of peace and one of justice and and one that you would want your grandchildren and great grandchildren to be able to thrive in, like you can't afford to like not say anything or do anything. And so you have to find your particular lens where it makes sense. So not everybody is going to be picketing outside of like Starbucks or whatever it is. Not everybody is going to be, you know, going to Trump Tower Mm -hmm. and like, you know, getting arrested. Not everybody is, you know, going to the NRA and standing in front of them while they get spit on. Like not everybody can do that. Right. But how can you use your own unique platform or your voice in your own community? How can you in your writings and your blog or how can you in your business or as a doula, how can you support other communities? Like, you know, if there are people, there are probably people who don't even use a doula because they don't think like, oh, I'm in a trans relationship or I'm in a same sex relationship or I'm in, you know, I'm a single mom or I'm this or whatever that don't even feel like they have a right to certain things. Like how can you make sure that people feel that they also deserve? And so there's ways that you can create equality and that you could fight for it in your own like backyard, in your own right here, right now. And the nexus you're in does not have to be that you go on Washington. You don't have to make some huge gesture, but daily right actions every single day, like every single day, like little tiny things that you can do. Like, you know, I saw this woman in the grocery store who was really, really fair skinned and she was right behind a woman, a black woman. And I was like further down the line. And this clerk's person was like accusing the woman. I forget what it was because I wasn't right up on it. But the woman right behind her, she thought was white. So she kind of was like trying to like have this camaraderie around like belittling this woman. And the girl was like, first of all, and she went off and she was like, that is not right what you're doing. And then other people in the line spoke up. And then it became this thing where she mm-hmm. then was ashamed of herself and then had to kind of be quiet because then she felt bad. But like this woman is mine. She could be minding her business and texting the whole time while this transaction yeah. happens yeah. of mean naturedness. Right. Like she could have just let it happen, but she spoke up. So I just mean things like that, where you see like that wasn't right. Or this person got pulled over let me just stay here and film or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever Mm -hmm. tiny little Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. so that you can make sure that you are also a person who is contributing to looking after, like, it's like, is that my little brother over there? Like, who's that? Like what's happening? Let me watch. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't have to be that that. you have to go and be like, okay, now I got to join the women's March list or now I got to go do this or now I got to No, just do in your community where you are like what you can. And also the people around you, like let them be inspired by you taking action. Yeah. 
Let them see how you bring this message into your work and let them be inspired to say, you know what? I need to say something to her. I, you know, I always thought that and I never felt the courage to say it. And thank you for saying it, mm-hmm. because now the next time I, you know, encounter that, I'm going to feel like I have the tools or the right thing to say. Yeah, I think it's more that, you know, than than to feel like you have to take on the weight of everything. It's like it's too big of a monster. We have to, like, go piece by piece, you know, to to solve it. And, and do our um, part. And we have to do our part and we have to look mm-hmm. at ourselves and look at, like, you know, where we might be, how do I call it? Just like disillusioned or where we might have our own prejudices or biases, you know, where we might have done some things in the past that we need to maybe sit in, you know, in a meditation or in prayer around forgiveness so that we can release that and know like moving forward, I want to be on this type of path. I want to be on, you know, in this way with people, I want to make sure I see them. And I think the real big thing is like a basic human need is to be seen, to be heard and to belong. Like that's basic. And every, and that's at the essence of what every person is talking about and fighting for. We want to be seen. Do you see us? Right. When we heard, do you hear us? And we want to be a, like, we are here too. We want to be long. We want to feel like we are part of something. And so if you think about what's at the very basics of what everybody is talking about, Everybody wants to feel those things. So how can you, on an, as an individual, make sure that you are seeing, hearing people, and making sure they feel understood and that they belong? Mm-hmm. And if you do that, whether it's in your preschool that you teach at, whether that's in the subway, when somebody comes by and asks for a dollar, look them in the eye. If you don't even have that money and have them feel dignity, when you get out the train, wave at the you know, train conductor say, thank you. Like, don't take for granted all of these things that, you know, and all these people along the way, because you don't know the story of these people. It's like, I was talking to this woman over the weekend who came up here to work. Her daughter had to stay in Florida and she was talking about how her ticket was $200 to get here. She tried to fly her family and it was $2,000 of ticket price gouging. They're going to get prosecuted. You can't price gouge by the way. So, you know, in crises. So, She had to leave her family and she was terrified because she didn't know if they were safe. There was no cell service. And then it's like you have people who are working in healthcare facilities and with old people or, you know, our elderly ancestors and stuff. You have people who are working in hotels to make sure that the people who are stuck there are safe and they can't even go home to their own families. You have people who are working in these airports, people who have who have to go out on a rescue mission and we take for granted. And so it's like. Think about these people who are displaced and can't even go check into shelters because they're afraid because they're undocumented. We have got to make sure that we use our voices to speak blessing and to heal and to protect. And yes, I love that you said righteous anger is really important because we do have to get like riled up and yeah. like, do something. Because totally. You can, sit, you can sit and just watch the Kardashians. I know. Otherwise, it's whatever. like, eat. to be honest, you know, I think that right on that emotional, whatever it's called, the emotional scale from Abraham Hicks, depression is actually below anger, right? So, mm-hmm. so actually anger is a step up in terms of a more activation towards joy and light. That's right. Because depression and it's stagnation, but yeah, anger is very activating. That's right. 
And that is really important. We have to be, we have, and, but the depression is you get to a point where it's like apathy, like feeling, right? So you can't relate. You don't relate to yourself and others. You're not feeling where you are in space and you don't even feel that people love you, right? Like you're tuned out. Now, when you're angry, even when you're angry, you do know that you're supported and loved or whatever, but you still, there's still like, and you care so deeply, you care so much. Right. And so we have to make sure that the people who are angry too, and people who are depressed too, that we support because a lot of things that are happening in our society are because people do not feel those basic human needs of being seen, heard and belonging. And so if they were feeling that, and you know, that's when I want to get back to the birth piece is that the babies learn in the first hour of life, whether or not the world is a safe place. And so we have to make sure as parents, as women, mothering is at the top of the feminist agenda, no matter what people say to you, it is at the top because we have to make sure that we create and cultivate generations of children who dismantle what we are experiencing right now at its height. We cannot continue in this way. And we're not going to. It's like, I feel like this is all toppling down, which is why it's erupting and feeling like, you know, a crazy, like, gross pimple that's about to burst. It is like, (laughs) right? It feels like, oh my God. It's coming to a head massively. It's coming to a head. It's coming to a head. So we know that there's got to be another side of this, but we still have to make sure that in our daily nurturing of the people around us in our homes, it's like, how do you make sure that, you know, in the work that you're doing, we're making sure like, okay, I want to help people. I want to do this. I want to do that. But is everybody at home feeling those basic needs? Are you touching your kids every day? Are you touching your partner? Are you calling your mama? Are you know, like, are you thanking people in your life, you know, through your confessions of light, like doing that in your little nexus first, and then make sure that you can bring it into your work, because that's the hardest place to do it is with the people that you love, obviously. (laughs) Which is is so weird, but it's true. (laughs) I mean, I have to do it all the time because my mom, sometimes she's an Aries, I'm a Taurus. It's like horns locking. So we have to do our best But I think that, you know, that is the most important work. Like our children have got to feel that so that they can be empathetic and actually move out into the world and feel something and know that they have something that they can do to help affect change too. Thank you. (laughs) I am just like, I love, you're so articulate. This is so what needs to be said right now. I'm so grateful for this conversation. I'm so grateful for you and the work you're doing. I can't wait to fully read your book. I got to read a little bit, but I really need to hold something in my hand. So it's on the way. Is there, so everybody listening, you need to go to ownyourglowthebook.com and you'll find out about the book, obviously order your copy, and then you'll find out all about the events. Yes. It's so exciting what you're doing in the world. Thank you for everything. Is there anything else that you think it's really important that entrepreneurial moms, entrepreneurial nurturers need to know? I mean, you've shared so much, so it's okay if there's not. Yeah, you know, I would say this is one thing I would like to say, and I think I can say this to your community because I believe that this is how you orient yourself in the world too, is that I really want you all to think about how you are moving in the world and is it in step with the rhythms of nature? Is it in step? Like, are we looking at how the lunar phases affect us in our bodies? I know Kate talks about this in the work and how we can maximize potential through looking at the lunar phases. And, but in addition to that, 
make sure that as you're moving that you are embracing your unique feminine attributes and how they can flow into the work you're doing in the world rather than trying to force things. And I talked about this earlier a little bit, but like really let things take their time. And so what I want to say about taking time is, you know, we talk a lot about birth and a lot about how that process is and how it takes time to unfold, but also so does the stuff that you're cultivating, like your new businesses or whatever it is. You have a baby that's growing. You have maybe a toddler. You might be pregnant. You might have family stuff going on. There's things that just happen that are out of your control. And so like, instead of focusing on here's the day I'm launching this, this is what it's going to be like, keep some, create some space for freedom that Kate talks about and create some space for like magic and for also like grace to step in and help you along the way. So don't be so tethered to like the exacts of stuff. Like it has to be this way. It has to be that way. You know, when we get like this, it is really like we're still holding on to like this masculine paradigm of approaching work and really make sure that you're focusing on process, just like we focus on process and pregnancy, right? It's everything's about process and reorienting yourself around process instead of like outcome. And so, you know, in, you know, the workforce, obviously everything's outcome and metrics and everything is what you can measure, but there's so many things that count that can't be counted. And I want you to remember to focus on the process and just allowing yourself to enjoy it, to revel in it, to remember aspects of it, to, you know, glorify it. And so that you can take your time and move through it intentionally. And when you come on the other side, you will feel really much more attuned to, because along the way you'll be able to make changes and pivot because you were really allowing yourself that time versus like, I'm just going to rush and do this thing that I decided I was going to do on the outset things change. And then like you're committed to this thing and you can't change it. And now it's going to launch. And now you got to make, it's like, we actually end up making financial investments that don't work out. We actually, you know, end up having to change things to take some more time and energy because we don't give ourselves like that process. Mm -hmm. So process, I talk about in the book process makes perfect. And I don't mean about perfection, but I mean the perfect incarnate experience of whatever that thing is in that moment, like that is perfection, whatever it is that you are right now, that is perfection. It's not about something being an ideal, but we're talking about perfection is the embodiment of what is. And so we have to move through process to get to that point though. And instead of rushing through to get to an outcome, if that makes sense. And that's actually the opposite of what we've been taught and the opposite of what we focus on in the workplace or whatever. So if you're moving from a workforce and moving into this more entrepreneurial space, it is something that you have to get yourself used to because nobody else is governing these things. You're the one governing process, right? So you do have to reorient yourself in that way. Just like you have to reorient yourself around like a paycheck or whatever it is, you have to reorient. So I want to like remind people of that because I do think that we do get caught up in like, okay, like, you know, I'm going to give myself only five days for this. I'm going to do like, and then it gets to be, I think, constrictive rather than like, you know, a joy, a process of joy, right. And an experience of joy. And I think that most of the journey should be really like enjoyable for you. 
even though there's going to be moments where you're like, God damn it. Like I should have hired an accountant or you know, whatever it is, there's going to be things. definitely hired an accountant. Right. Like Kate is going to see that. Like there is going to be things like that where you're just like, Jesus, you know, but like most of it, you should be like, Oh yes. Like this is what I did this for. This is why I said, I'm out of here. This is why I'm doing this thing. Right. So stay engaged in the process and remember like the process will remind you like why it is that you're doing this thing to begin with instead of like, you know, looking up and be like, whoa, where am I? Like you don't have to reorient if you're staying engaged. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So beautiful. What a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so filled up by this conversation. I'm so grateful for you. Um, everybody one more time own your glow the book.com go find Latham attend one of her amazing events give her a hug you are such a My light God. I, I need you. a hug from you I know I'll come to New York and give you a hug please come to New York I like her I'm so overdue okay bye, my love bye love Hey, thanks for listening to the show. This is Kate, and I have a special invitation for you, which is to a free workshop that I'm teaching called the Sustainable Success Workshop. This is a three-part video workshop. You can get it for free over at sustainablesuccessworkshop.com, and it will teach you the strategies that I've been using to do less, yet achieve more, more revenue, more time freedom, more creative fulfillment, and to work in a way that we can imagine doing for years to come without burnout and without exhaustion. So if you feel exhausted and burned out by the way you've been working, if you feel like you have too much on your plate, I want you to head over to sustainablesuccessworkshop.com. You can get on the list over there for the workshop, and I promise you what I am teaching you have not learned before. The number one comment we have gotten from this workshop is, why did I never know this stuff before? Mind blown. So head over there and I will see you for the workshop.